Um, God's word is uh, from for the today is First John uh, four seven through twenty one. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed us his love among us. He sent us his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love has made us complete in him. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son into the world, his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love dries out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this commandment. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And may the Lord uh, bless and use these, uh, this passage uh, to speak to us today. And Pastor Joel Oshelin from uh, Rochester is here to bring us a message and uh, communion. Thank you. Good morning. Good to be with you. I uh, would love to stay afterwards. Unfortunately, I have plans to be with my son, so after our service, I won't be able to join you for lunch. Otherwise, normally, I probably would have done that. That would be a great thing to do. I am a sports fan, and as you heard, I'm from Rochester, Minnesota. I don't know if I want to feel depressed and angry this afternoon. <laughs> I, may, I may not watch the game. <laughs> but as a sports fan, um, one of the things that we enjoy in our household is the Olympics, both Winter Olympics and Summer Olympics. It's kind of neat to have them every two years now. You can gear up for the Olympics and see what's happening. This past uh, Winter Olympics, as with every time the Olympics come, this really interesting stories, high drama, this is why I like sports, you never know what's going to happen, college football yesterday, there are so many upsets, Big Ten does not look good right now, except for Minnesota, they did well, thank you, 
Wisconsin, I'm sorry. Iowa, oh well. Iowa State did good. Yeah. But it's drawn, I mean, so, every, I mean, these athletes, it's a lot that they go through. So here's a story uh, that happened this past winter with speed skating, which is a very exhilarating sport to watch. So there's this Dutch speed skater, uh, Kai Verbeij. He's been He was showered with praise following a split-second act of sportsmanship that helped a rival athlete secure the Olymp- Olympic medal at, at, at the uh, Games in Beijing. Verbai was the reigning world champion in speed skating in the 1,000-meter event, and he was picked to probably win at least a bronze, if not silver or gold. Now, when he was paired with this debris from Canada, um, they were heading into the last corner of the final lap when Verbai backed off on the last crossover. So the way speed skating works is it's a, if you imagine, you know, a oval, like a track, but because there's an outer lane and inner lane, they have to cross over. So after one lap, they, the outer lane person crosses over to the inner lane, and the inner lane person crosses over to the outer lane. So it's 1,000 meters, and I think the track is um, 400, so they're doing two and a half laps in the speed skating. And what was happening in, after about 800 meters, the second full lap, they were coming on to their, where they cross over at the exact same time. And Verbai, who was the reigning world champion, backed off so Debris could cross over. Now what happened as a result of that is Debris went on to finish and get silver. I think he went on and then had another race. And Verbai ended up finishing last place. And they, as news... Um, Reporters do, they want your response. <laughs> so they interview him immediately right after this competition. And Dubris or Verbai says, I'm pretty sad I couldn't set a proper time. Going on. He says, When I exited the inner lane, I saw this higher top speed and I knew I had to give it up. Otherwise, I would ruin his race. I'm not angry. I'm a little bit sad, however, that this had to happen right now. It's a shame. But this is top sport. It's unlucky and it's tough. I can be pathetic about it, but yeah, it happened and there's nothing more that I could do. It's not the first time that this happened to me, but not at the Olympics. Of course, it's pretty sad. I'm pretty disappointed, but someone has to lose, I guess. Debris was grateful for Verbai's sacrifice after the race, saying, it's unfortunate for us to be tied with 250 to go. It's tough to do that in an Olympic race, he explained. I can't really say thank you enough to him. It's really professional and classy move to do. He's a friend, so when he gets over it, I will give him some time. I will thank him for sure. I'm not sure if uh, Verbai will ever get over it, <laughs> what these Olympic athletes go through to try to medal in the games. That happens only every four years for them in their sport. I'm not sure you're supposed to get over it, actually. Um, if it's truly a sacrifice on the part of Verbai, then one doesn't get over it, and that's the nature of sacrificing, no matter the situation. But this got me thinking, to what motivates a person to sacrifice? To give up something in order that another may have something. 
What motivates a person to accept a loss, to go without in order that another can achieve, can thrive, and can succeed? May I suggest that the ultimate motivation for sacrifice, the ultimate motivation, is love. In fact, as we will see and have already heard, this is a divining characteristic of love. The Apostle John, um, who is the author of the book 1 John, uses repetition to emphasize thoughts and to make sure his readers get the message. And what John cannot over-communicate is the importance of love throughout his letter, and in particular, the 15 verses that we are looking at here this morning. So in these 15 verses, there's 340 English words with love, loves, or loved being used 27 times. Uh, which means, on average, John is using love or variation of love every 12 to 13 words. I realized, and I was told by Patrick, when we merge my PowerPoint slides with the program that the church uses, I may lose some animation, which I did lose. So love, pretend love is being highlighted in this passage. But it's like every 12 words. There's the word love or loved or loves. So here's what John wants us to know. It's really God using John to give us this message. We are to know what love looks like. We are to know that God loves us. And God wants us to know the power of love. Well, why is John focusing on love? He could focus on hope or peace or mercy or grace. These two are very important attributes that we are to have in our life and to live out with our life as followers of Christ. But the reason I believe that John is focusing on love is because he was there. He was there the day that Jesus was approached by a teacher of the law when he was talking to the Sadducees and this teacher of the law asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important one? And Jesus replied was, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So love is the most important command given to us by Jesus. And as such, God wants us to know what love looks like. First, love is to be shown. God showed his love among us. 1 John 4.9 And here's a question for consideration. Is it possible to have something yet no evidence of it? Can you have something but have no evidence of it? For instance, you may see a bumper sticker on a 2007 Honda Civic that says, my other car is a Porsche. And you're like, yeah, let me see your other car, and then I'll believe whether or not it's a Porsche. Or a bumper sticker that says, my other car is a car. Well, that's a little more believable. <laughs> or my other car is a bicycle, for those that enjoy bike riding. Here's another sticker. My other car is a Millennium Falcon. Well, that's really not believable at all. I don't, unless it's maybe a Lego. I don't know how that works. If God were to love us but never show his love for us, 
Can we really say that God does indeed love us? John points out that God showed his love by sending his son Jesus for us. Jesus took on the penalty of sin and paved the way for us to be with God eternally. The challenge with the church that we have as the church, though, the challenge that we have of always pointing to something that happened thousands and thousands of years ago is people are asking, but what has God done lately? This is a human trait, which is true when it comes to experiencing God's love for us, or true if we're trying to experience our spouse's love for us, true if we're trying to experience our parents' love for us, true if we're trying to experience our church's love for us. We ask, what have you done for me, us? How have you shown that love lately? Imagine with me a conversation between a husband and a wife. One of them makes the comment um, that the other doesn't always show any outward sign of love towards them. When the spouse replies, what do you mean? Don't you remember that one time 35 years ago when I gave you that ring as an outward sign of my love for you and I said I love you? You mean our wedding day? Yeah, yeah, see, I show you my love. The spouse replied, that's great, but... Where is your love today? Going back to that greatest commandment to love God and love people in our lives, we are to show love each day. Every day, love is a daily act. God loves us each day and every day for providing peace, wisdom, comfort, care, protection along with the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ. A loving person shows their love to each person every day. Love is shown. Second, love is to be real, verse 10. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Real love is sacrificial love. Real love is patient. Real love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. How are we doing, church? How are we doing showing real love to each other? Anyone keeping record of wrongs? Pretty easy to do. Is your love for one another persevering, or is it getting worn out? To reach this standard of love that God is showing us, we are to reach that standard, it is hard work. It is actually really, really hard to love. It is much easier to say, I am tired of loving this person that is annoying me. I am tired of loving this person that I disagree with. But the question is, is your love patient? Is it kind? Is it protecting? Is your real love sacrificial? 
Why did that Olympic athlete Verbai pull up in the 1,000-meter speed skating race, sacrificing his chance at a medal? I think he was motivated by love. He had a love for the sport of speed skating. <laughs> he didn't actually sacrifice for his opponent. That wasn't where his love was directed towards. His love was for the sport, and he wants others to love the sport of speed skating as much as he loves speed skating. Now, here's the, here's the tricky part in perhaps discussion that you can have at lunch or sometime this week, Double K Cafe. Who gets to define what is patient, what is kind, what is protecting, what is sacrificial? Is it the one who is giving the love, or is it the one who is receiving the love? The tricky part is that sometimes this seems to be subjective. Which brings us to the third attribute that we see. Love is to be perfect. There's a perfect love. Love is to be and can be perfect. God's love for us is perfect. Can our love for God and for others also be perfect? Perhaps, perhaps uh, perfect love is when both the giver and the receiver agree on what is patient and what is kind and what is protecting and on down the list. Or then again, the giver and the receiver may never agree. You may, they, just, they just may never agree. Even though God loves the whole world, there are people who do not profess faith in God because they want God's love to look a certain way. And when the expectations are not being met, they may say that God does not love me. Specifically, there may be, um, or they may say, I cannot love a God who allows attacks such as we experienced on 9-11. On, on or people may say, I cannot love a God who allows mass shootings in schools or grocery stores or churches or camps or wherever they may be. God's love is still perfect, even if it does not meet our expectation. And we are to strive to love in the same way, to have a perfect love, even if others disapprove. Mark 2, 1 through 4, is a story where we see real, sacrificial, perfect love that is shown to an individual. Starting with verse 1, it says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, he, the, the people heard that he had come home. So they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door where he preached and preached the word to them. And then some men came, bringing with them a paralyzed man, uh, carried by four of them. And since they couldn't get into the, couldn't get that man to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat that the man was lying on. So in this very short story, with not a lot of detail, it gives us enough information that helps us to know where, when, and how, and who to love. The paralyzed man most likely could not care for himself. So he relied on others for his day-to-day -day existence. He certainly relied on others to take him to Jesus. So the person in these four men um, thought that Jesus might be the person to heal their friend. 
Well, the story doesn't actually say friend, but most likely the four men aren't carrying someone that they don't know. So they're, they're going to know them. Um, it might be a stretch to say friends. In most likely scenario, now we're just speculating, I'm guessing these actually these four men were family. Brothers, uncles, nephews, sons. We don't know. It doesn't say. But the most likely scenario is a paralyzed man, in order to exist, is being cared for by family. They were determined to get this paralyzed man the help he needed. Someone in this man's life had taken care of him up to this day, as is evident by the fact that he is alive. If he was not being taken care of, I would say he would have died by now. Caring for a loved one with either an acute illness, whether it be the flu or pneumonia or the severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus, or whether the loved one has a chronic illness, a disease of some sort, whether that be a heart condition or failing kidneys where a person needs dialysis three times a week, diabetes or cancer, dementia, any of those situations or any other health-related needs answers the question of where, when, how, and who to love in your life. For some, this has happened. For some, this is happening. We heard it in our prayer request. And for everyone, this is going to happen. This is going to happen for everyone. I can confidently predict the future with 100% accuracy. In the future, either you are going to be the patient and will need someone to love you in a real, perfect, sacrificial way, or you are going to be the caregiver and you will need to love in a real, perfect, and sacrificial way. For some, your opportunity may not be your family. Maybe your opportunity will be to love a neighbor or love a coworker. Or love a friend here at church. Anyone going through any health issue needs love shown to them. And God says, you, you are that person to do just that. In verse 11, it says, dear friends, since God so loved us. So as we're looking at what we need to know about love here in this passage. Second, we are to know that God loves us. This is what we are to know. God's instruction on what love looks like goes beyond reading about, about it in the Holy Bible. God teaches us what love looks like by showing us love. His love is real. His love is perfect. His love is shown by his, the sending of his son Jesus. For God so loved the world. We sang about this, that he sent his son Jesus. And God's love is more than just a one-time act in history. God's love comes to us each day, but not just each day, in each moment of each day. There may be days, there may be weeks, there may be months, there may be years where this is hard to see and hard to feel. But it's there, it's there, God's love is there. God is faithful and committed to loving us. God's love is a gracious love. We don't earn it. In fact, we can't earn it. You just get it because of who God is. And because we get it, we have the power to love others in our lives. God wants us to know the power of love 
First, love enables us to live. This is the first part of the power of God, power of this love. The end of verse 16, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Living in love means living in God. In an article titled The Importance of Touch by Evergreen Psychotherapy, this was published in 2014, it says human babies actually die from lack of touch. In the 19th century, most institutionalized infants in the United States died of wasting away disease. Institutions surveyed, this is now turn of the century, 19th to the 20th century, <laughs> back in 1915 reported that the majority of infants under the age of two had died due to failure to thrive related to the lack of touch and affection. So withholding just the simple act of loving infants through touch resulted in death for babies. The power of love is the power of life. Love enables human beings to live, either as infants or as children, as students, as adults. We need to love, we need love in our life in order to live life. The power of love is also seen by enabling us to love. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. So love is hard. I, I mentioned this earlier. The standard that God has given us, the expectation, the definition that we are to strive for, as we already looked at, it's, I would say it's actually impossible in our own human power. We know that people fall in love with each other, but people also fall out of love with each other. We are to love our neighbor, but... Um, and we are to love our brothers and sisters, but when that brother or sister isn't someone I get along with. We are to love our brother and sister in the faith, but when they have wronged me, it can be a lot tougher to love. The instruction to love does not empower us to love. Just the instruction. The instruction to love does not empower us to love. Being loved empowers us to love. People who love well do so because they are well loved. I just want to say that again. And this is true in all human relationships as well as our relationship with God. People who love, people who love well, people who love well are able to do so only because they have been well loved. You are well loved by God. And there is power in that love that enables you to love others. If you think about the story of Zacchaeus, he, most of his life until the day he met Jesus, was probably not well loved. In fact, looked down upon, hated, avoided as that tax collector. Then Jesus comes along, spends some time with him, loves on him, and his life instantly changes. All of a sudden, he has this power to love. He says, you know what? If I have wronged anyone, taken money that I shouldn't have, I'm going to not only return it, but I'm going to give back four times the amount. Where does that power for him to do that come from? It came because he was well-loved by God in that moment. He was a changed man. This is the power of love. 
we also see that the power of love drives out fear. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Those lines are connected to verse 17, which tells us love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. The power of love means we need not fear God's judgment in our lives. Jesus' perfect love has made us perfect in God's eyes and drives out fear in that moment, for that moment, or for any moment in our lives. Psalm 46. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. Why can we say this? Because earlier in that psalm, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. We can say we will not fear when earthquakes come and when the mountains crumble, that is, when our world is falling apart, because we are loved by God. So what is it that we need to do? Verse 10, we need to be still and know that I am God. The power of love comes into our life when we spend time with the one who has the most powerful love for us. Be still, God says. Be with me, God says. Spend uninterrupted quiet time with me and know that I love you. God has loved you, God is loving you, and God will love you. And the power of that perfect love enables us to live, it enables us to love, and it drives out fear. These Olympic athletes do a lot of sacrificing in their lives for a medal, gold, silver, or bronze. Well, most of them, except, you know, this one athlete this past winter, he didn't want to tarnish his sport or his reputation, and he was motivated by love. In fact, we see from 1 John 4 that that is that key attribute to love. Love is to be shown. Love is to be real. It is to be perfect. And God's love for us is all of this. It is a sacrificial love that then gives us the power to no longer fear. It gives us the power to live, and it gives us the power to love, which is hard to do. It's hard to do. May each and every one of us live this out, live in that power this week. Amen.